Amen. Give the Lord praise. Amen. Let's stand if you're not standing already as we honor God's word here at Grace Point by standing. We want to acknowledge uh, the passing of Mr. Clarence Jones, just precious uh, man of God, father in this uh, house, and and, uh, just wonderful family. Uh, His uh, celebration of his life will be here uh, at 3 o'clock this afternoon. And uh, what a just a a wonderful, wonderful uh, man and family. A legacy uh, that he has left us. And so, praise God, we know where Mr. Clarence is. Amen. He had said, uh, of lately, he told his children that he was, he said, I'm old, I'm tired, I'm sick, I'm ready to go home. And he wasn't talking about home at the house, he's talking about home there. And uh, the Lord loves us. And uh, we have far more to do with going home than you realize you do. And uh, praise God for, for him. So I just encourage you to be praying for the family and uh, as we uh, have that service today. In uh, this series, we're going to continue on uh, with it. Uh, we've been doing a series now in the Spirit. And uh, today we're just talking about Holy Spirit and fire. For the King James fans, Holy Ghost and fire. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so that's what we want to talk about today, the Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. Say fire. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that accomplishes so much in this earth as we yield to him. We pray today that you would help us to realize, Lord God, the potential that you've placed on the inside of us, the finished work of Jesus through the born again uh, experience that we put our faith in, that you died, buried, and rose again, and you accomplished all that you said when you said it is finished. We ask that, declare it in Jesus' name, everybody said Turn around, shake somebody's hand, give them a big smile, welcome them to Grace Point, fist bump, chest bump, high five, whatever you need to do. Amen. Now, uh, today I want to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit, how he is uh, in our lives. I'm going to talk more next Sunday about the language of the Spirit. And uh, but today we're just going to look at this, and and uh, y- you know, you may hear me say some things that uh, you hadn't heard before. That's kind of new for me, but I'll try it this morning. How about that? Uh, I was raised in in, in Pentecostal uh, background, uh, and so I'm not I'm not mad about that. We all was raised in something. We was raised in heathenism, or no church, or this church, or that church, or whatever, and. Uh, but this area here, there has been so much uh, confusion about it, and uh, a lot of people in more of a denominational churches were told to stay away from the Holy Spirit. You know, um, they made you know talking in tongues is of the devil, and they've heard all kind of ridiculous stuff like that. And uh, and then you get to the Pentecostal charismatic people; they've been told a whole lot. 
and it uh, is called a lot of different things theologically. But a confusion of Scripture will lead to a confusion in theology. And uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, this is what Paul writes. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now he's talking about once you're born again, your, your spirit that was dead in trespass of sin has become, been made alive, okay? And he says, but you uh, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. How many knows the spirit of God is the Holy Spirit, Okay. And then it says, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, same, same spirit, he is not his. So, in other words, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit, and you've been given the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Amen? You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit, so you're not saved, and then later on going to get the Holy Spirit. You get the Holy Spirit when you're born again. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, and uh, he has a rather lengthy sermon here, and down in verse 38 and 39, during his discourse, this is what Peter says, then Peter said to them, repent, now we know the word repent means to do what? Change your thinking, change your mind, change the way you think, and it says repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and look what it says happens when that happens, and you shall receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say gift. Don't let anybody tell you you have to do something to achieve, to earn, or to, 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 to get the Holy Spirit. Uh, how many of you fasted and prayed for weeks before you got saved? I didn't think so. Nobody fasted and prayed and sought salvation. So neither do you fast and pray and seek the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Bible, listen to me, does it say for you to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not in the Bible. It's in a lot of churches. It's in a lot of Pentecostal charismatic churches, but it's not in the Scripture. And I've just chosen to stay with the Bible. Okay? Now, they were told to go to Jerusalem and tarry, which means wait, until they were endued with power. But the reason a lot of theological confusion comes about this subject is because we fail to recognize of the transition that's going on from the old covenant to the new covenant. And, and we fail to recognize that the Gentiles start being swept into the church in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house, and they are really totally ignorant of the, of the things of God. And so sometimes people will read one area, one section of the Bible, particularly in Acts, and then they build a theology on it. Some people say that the only way you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, uh, you know, somebody lays hands on you. That does happen in the Bible, but yet uh, uh, when Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house, he doesn't lay his hands on anybody, and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. Right? So he didn't lay his hands on anybody. So you, you, we just have to be careful not to limit the Bible or pull out little scriptures and, and say, and, and, and we, we're not told to go tarry because you don't have to tarry. Because on, when the day of Pentecost fully come, Acts 2, 1, the Holy Spirit came as a mighty rushing wind. He didn't sneak in town and come in quietly. He, he came as a mighty mushing, uh, rushing wind, filled all the house where they were assembled. In, in that case, they did speak in tongues. There are places in the book of Acts where people, it says that they are filled with the Holy Spirit and there is no reference to tongues. Okay? Now, whether you speak in tongues or not is totally up to you. 
And when you, if you do speak in tongues, it's not because some force is making you. When you pray in English, who's, uh, did you decide to pray in English or did some force just take you over and started praying through you in English? Come on, it's not hard, people. Come on. Work with me. So you choose to pray in English and you choose to pray in tongues. It's, there, there is a prayer uh, in tongues for interpretation. There is a prayer in tongues for edification, building up your most holy faith. Well, say, I don't want to pray in tongues. You don't have to. You don't have to brush your teeth either. You don't, you, you know, you don't have to wear deodorant. We'd appreciate it. I mean, there's a lot of things you ain't got to do. This is not a got-to-do kingdom. This is a get-to. This is a get-to. And so, you know, but I was raised in a system, and, and, and you know, I, I, everybody's doing the best they can. And I've been doing this a while, okay? And I've been in the pile of confusion just like everybody else. But, you know, you hear these terms like this, and some people, you know, they really get upset about this. But the Bible never says second work of nothing. There's not a second work. John Wesley's the one that come up with that. He's a great man, left a great legacy. But it's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't talk about a second work of grace or a second work of salvation or a third work of salvation. None of that. Now, if you, in the denominal churches, if you say second work of grace, what that means to them is sanctification. If you in a charismatic Pentecostal and they hear the term second work of grace, they're talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Uh, you know, I've heard, I heard a preacher just the other day, he said, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like, you know, a pair of shoes. They come with tongues. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's, tongues come with it, you know. And, uh, but this whole thing, e either Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 is, is true or it isn't true. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, is the Holy Spirit a spiritual blessing or not? So if that verse is true, if we have already in the past, that's what it says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, then what are you seeking for? If you've been given the fullness of God in Christ, what are you seeking for? When Jesus said it's finished, he didn't say it's almost finished. It's 90% finished. It's 100% finished. Now, what happens to people, you've got to understand this. And maybe if I can explain this to you, because salvation in the Holy Spirit, if you want to call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit that John refers to here, but I want to tell you this, the Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one God, one Spirit, and one baptism. Okay? So if you got three baptisms, you, you, you got the wrong, you got something wrong. Okay? There's one Lord, am I right? One Lord, one faith, one God, one baptism, one spirit. Now, salvation, how do you receive salvation? You receive salvation by believing. The Holy Spirit comes with it. The Holy Spirit is what brings the regeneration in the born-again spirit. Now, it says uh, in Acts 2.38, listen to what he says, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's what happens when you receive Christ. Your sins is not your problem. And you shall receive the gift. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, your children, to all who are far off and as many as the Lord will call. And then in John chapter 7, Jesus uh, makes this statement in verse 37. Now, he's still on the earth now. He hadn't went to the 
cross yet, but he says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said. You see how I included that? It ain't just he who believes in me, but it's he who believes in me as the Scripture has said. Because a lot of people believe in him. They just don't believe in him as the Scripture has said. They believe in him as Mama said or the denomination said. But he that believeth on me, Jesus said, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his belly, the King James says, which means out of the place that you give birth spiritually to things, out of his heart will flow rivers, not one river, rivers, plural, of what? Living water. Now, if, that's, if we stopped there, we wouldn't know what he was talking about really. Next verse. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit. Notice this capital S. Listen, whom those believing in him would receive. How do you receive it? By believing in him. What do they receive? They receive the Holy Spirit. What, what's it in them? It's in them like rivers. Now, you've heard of the well of salvation or wells of salvation. The well of salvation is in there for you. The rivers is in you for other people. Come on now. It says, but this spoke he concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So at this point, the Holy Spirit had not come. From the Old Covenant, from Genesis chapter 1 all the way up to this point, the Holy Spirit in those times in the Old Covenant would come upon someone. He would come upon, he would come upon Samson or he would come upon King David. If he comes upon you, it's for you to do something then or be empowered with supernatural power. But he indwelt no one in the Old Covenant. He was, he'd come upon them, but he was not in them. That's why Jesus said, it's to your advantage if I go away, because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will send you another comforter. He will be like me, he will be with you, and he shall be in you. Amen? So we got a whole better deal. The Holy Spirit's on the inside of you. And you receive that when you are born again. And I just want you to understand that because a lot of confusion, thank you, Pastor, a lot of confusion is, is about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the feeling of the Holy Spirit. You, you, you hear a lot of stuff. <laughs> Listen, and, and I used to say some of the same stuff too, and I'm still learning. I'm a student, okay? You hear like, well, you got filled with the Holy Spirit, but you leak. How many of you ever heard that? You leak. And then you got to get filled again. It ain't in the book, man. Ain't no verse in there that says we leak. And they try to come up with that because they says that the same people in Acts 2 that got filled got filled again in Acts 4. And you just, I, I don't see it. It's just telling you that they're filled. Every time it refers to somebody in the Spirit, it always says they're filled. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Philip, full of the Spirit. Paul, full of the Spirit. You know, you don't leak. You're not like I got a half a tank. You know, or I'm 10% I'm of the Spirit. No, I mean, you, you're full of the Spirit. Now, you might not be yielding that fullness out. You, not, you might not be allowing that river to, those rivers to flow out of you to somebody that needs. But it's not because there's a deficiency with God. And I guess the thing that I really want you to get today is you're not going to pray for the Holy Spirit post-salvation because you got him at salvation. And you didn't get 50% of him. 
You didn't get a deposit, 10%. And I know, I've heard all the man-made-up explanations for their theology. Well, you can drink a glass of water, and then you can have a whole pitcher of water, and then you can... It ain't in the book, man. You try to explain something that's not there. When you got born again, God gave you the gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't pray for it of the Holy Spirit. So there's no second-class Christians in here. If you're born again, you all have the same Holy Spirit. Your five-year-old does not have a five-year-old Holy Spirit. There's not different... There's one Holy Spirit, and you either got him or you don't, and if you have him, you have the fullness. Now, what's going to happen is you've got to learn to yield to him. But if you have that theology that I used to have because I was taught that, that now you're saved, and we were actually told you couldn't even get the Holy Spirit when you got saved. You didn't get it. I don't know what we did with them verses that I just read, but we just ignored them. That's what we did. You didn't ever hear him preached on. In other words, you're saved. And then after the second work of grace or whatever you want to call it, then you come and seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then when you do that, so you got to pray and ask God to, to, to give you what he already said he gave you, but you don't believe it, so you're asking him to send it. You wonder why you don't get it. You feel like you get no response because he can't give you what he's already given you. But you just, the problem is not him on his end, it's you don't believe it. So then I have been pastoring for 24 plus years. I've been preaching the gospel for over 30 years. I have had numerous people over these 30 years that as Christians have been suicidal over this subject. Because they didn't speak in tongues, because they didn't feel some force overtake them. They thought something's wrong with them. They even go to the point where I must have committed the unpardonable sin, which, you know, and, and, and I mean, people become basket cases because of messed up theology. God gave you the Holy Spirit. You can't get saved without Him. And I just read to you that Jesus, Paul said, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of His. You're not born again. But if you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit. And you have all of him. The, the Bible says you have the fullness. In, in, in my book, I got a whole chapter, The Myth of More. More, Lord, more. Well, you call him God a liar. God said, I've given you the fullness of God in Christ Jesus. You can yield to more, but it ain't God's problem. And listen, and if you think that you're going to send a prayer through the heavens, ask God for the Holy Spirit, He's got to, you know, fill your prescription, lick the stamp and send it back to earth and it zap you before you get it. That's messed up, man. And there's a lot of people, that's what they believe in. It's just not in the Bible. It's just not there. And what it leads to is confusion and people are seeking the Holy And so what about the laying on the hands? Listen, if, if I laid hands on you and, and if I said this, Lord, fill them, let them receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that would be an appropriate thing if you understood what I'm doing. But if I laid hands on somebody, I said, receive ye the Holy Spirit, I'm not asking God to send him the Holy Spirit to you. I'm talking about if you're, you're a believer already. You're already a believer, but you're just confused on this subject. But you're already a believer. But if I laid my hands on you and said, Father, may they receive the Holy Spirit, the fullness or whatever, it's fine. But what, am I, what I know if I'm saying that is the Holy Spirit's on the inside of them. In their born-again spirit. 
And what, what me laying hands is just an act of faith, but it activates what's already on the inside. I'm not giving them the Holy Spirit. I'm not God. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, but, but through faith and just being obedient to the Word, you can lay hands on people and it activates or releases what's on the inside of them. Now, people get confused about things, and, and I know I, I didn't give you these verses, but y'all good on the fly, uh, but they're coming to mind. But in Acts uh, chapter 8 is, is really about the only place in the whole New Testament that somebody can go to and say, well, right here I can prove to you that people are saved, they believed in Jesus, and they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you go to Acts chapter 8, verse 5, um, y'all wink at me when it hits the screen back there, so I'll know. Is it up there? Okay. All right, in verse 5, look what it says, then Philip. Now, this is not Philip, one of the apostles. This is Philip the evangelist. He's the only guy in the Bible ever called the evangelist, okay? All right, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached what? It must not be up there, huh? Or y'all can't read. <laughs> Let's try that again. Come on, Grace Point, work with me here. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, because ge ge geographically it is a lower elevation city, and he preached what? Christ to them. All right, now listen to me. The Jews and the Samaritans, broad brushstroke, hated one another. Remember the woman at the well conversation, all that kind of stuff? Because the Samaritans were mostly a mixed group, the Jews considered maybe part Jew, part Gentile. Samaritans, we don't like them, that kind of deal. Remember, remember John, the disciple of love, wanted to burn the city of Samaria down with fire because they wanted to run a revival there and get Jesus to preach and the city didn't want him. Anybody remember that? And they, they're ticked off and standing at the edge of the city limits and, said, and they asked Jesus, shall we call down fire? Like Elijah didn't burn this place to the ground. Let's just burn them all, make them all charcoal briquettes. How about that, Jesus? That's a Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, You don't know what I mean. He's like, Whoa, dude, man, you don't even know what kind of spirit you're in. Come on, man. I didn't come to kill people. I came to save people. Not to take their life, but to give them life. You know, Christians can go stupid. Gotta be careful here. But boy, some, anyway, people send me stuff. I really wish I knew their motive behind sending it. Anyway, I better not waste my time on it. <laughs> Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now, remember, so he's talking to the Samaritans who hated the Jews. This is not one of the 12 apostles or one of the 11. Then they've added, you know, Matthias to make the 12 since Judas hung himself. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem He's talking about the, the, you know, the ones that walked with Jesus. Heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them. Now, this, John's the same guy wanted to burn it to the ground. But he's one of the 12 apostles. They sent, so Peter and Peter is there. So they send them to them who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, listen. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people use that passage. It's the only one they got in the whole New Testament. And they use that to try to prove. Now, they think they got another one. I'm going to get to that one, but they don't. But they try to use that and say, well, right here, you, you know, you got people filled with the Holy Spirit, but yet they hadn't, you know, I mean, but they hadn't, they got, believe, in other words, here you have people that believe in Jesus, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. And so they try to make a doctrine out of that. 
what's going on here, Dale? Man, I, I, you know, I don't know everything, but this is what I do know. God's about unity, and he's about loving and blessing people. And these Samaritans felt like they were dirt, okay? And that's clear in Scripture. And, and just imagine that, that not even one of the main apostles even comes down there to acknowledge them. But what I believe God decided, and, and, and since God's God, he can do what he wants to. But you know, when, when Peter was preaching to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house in Acts 10, uh, he, the Bible says that he told them that if they would just believe on Jesus, that they would receive the Spirit and, and they would receive remission of sins. And it says when Peter spoke these words, then the Holy Spirit fell upon each of them. And they began to praise God, prophesy, speak in tongues. So he decided at what point during the sermon he would just fall on them. I even prayed this morning. I wish God just with his mighty spirit just fall upon all of us and just mash our nose to the carpet. That'd be cool, man. That'd be cool for me. I've seen that a couple of times in my life. Really. I seen the Holy Spirit one time come so mightily in the service when I was a young uh, boy that there was not one person standing. Not one. The only person who was standing was the evangelist that was, was ministering. And he wasn't standing. He was on his knees. And I remember the Spirit. And you won't understand that. And that may sound scary to you. That was the most wonderful thing. I remember a 12-year-old boy. I pulled up from the back pew to church and looked around, and I saw nobody but the evangelist on the platform. He was kneeled down, you know. And, uh, and I'm talking about, that's weird, man, if you saw a whole, like a building like this, everybody in here on the floor. That's weird. Come on now. And I remember when I looked, looked up my, and everybody was on the floor, I just went right back down behind that pew. <laughs> I figured that brother give me a second dose if he sees me trying to ease up, you know, or something I'm, it was just wonderful. I've prayed for that kind of, you know, but what happened there? The Holy Spirit fell upon them. He fell upon them. God can do that if he wants to. He don't have to. He ain't got to prove nothing to me or you. But the Holy Spirit decided that he would not fall upon to me, the Samaritans, until he had his main apostles there, two of them, because by two witnesses. And when Peter and John are there, those apostles, even though that they had been told about Christ by Philip the evangelist, God withheld the falling, uh, 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 sanctioning of his spirit until his apostles were standing there. And when his apostles were there, they didn't get some third-rate something. They got the main ones that followed Jesus and that city of Samaria, and they got honored and acknowledged just as much as any Jew or anybody else. And they could not set up division and say they were inferior. Now, where another place they think is in Acts chapter 19. If we can go there in verse 1. Now, this is where uh, the uh, apostle Apollos, he, he's, he's got followers. He's got people that, that are following him. And it says in verse 1 that it happened when Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, he came to Ephesus. And this is where he found these disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, let's stop there a minute. Just because it said they believed, you don't know what they believed, though. And the Bible's going to tell us what they believe, but they, they don't see this as they are a believer like you are in Jesus. No. They're a believer in something, but they're not believing correctly at this point. Okay? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, we've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. That sounds like a lot of churches that I know of. Them people in them churches have never even heard if they be a Holy Spirit. You with me? And he said to them, into then what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Now, John is John the Baptist. 
Don't call him that, but we'll agree with that. Okay, he's preaching a baptism of repentance. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets. He's talking about the messianic prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. Is that right? And, uh, but you understand, John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet. He was the last one. Okay? He is there in transition, and he's ushering in the coming Messiah who himself will establish a new covenant made with better promises to his people. Amen? Now listen, so he said, they said, you know, we're, we're baptized into John's baptism. Well, Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Now it says when they heard this, they were baptized in the name, now this is their first time. Now they're being baptized in the name of who? The Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. So you, you, you see that happening uh, right there, that they spoke in tongues, they prophesied. And, um, but yet when you read where we were just talking about in Acts chapter 8, there's no mention of tongues. Okay, now we just have to be honest and don't, just, let's just be honest. Now there's some people wants to just shove the point home that everywhere somebody's about to have the Holy Ghost spoke in tongues. It's just not in the Bible. It's just simply not there. Are, are you with me? Uh, you said, some people say, well, they saw something because that's where that sorcerer guy, you know, tried to buy that gift of laying on of hands, you know, and they rebuked him sharply. But, it, but you, you're, you're stepping out of Scripture to say that they spoke in tongues there, okay? Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what is it? Now, remember, you have to come back next Sunday, and I'm going to talk to you about the language of the Spirit. It, it, it is a language, Okay. And, and you don't have to be, you know, a lot of people are told, man, you got to be careful, you know, you know, if you be asking the Lord for something like that, you'll get a demon. Now, you know you've heard that. And people say, I used to hear, you know, speaking in tongues of the devil. And then, you know, I, I'm bit, I've been dumb, you know, dumb as a rock on as far as religious stuff and when I was early teenager. But I thought about, man, if that's of the devil, why didn't I ever speak in tongues when I was high? Man, I, when, I was a, when I was for the devil, I was full time. You know what I'm talking about? I was yielded. Don't look at me like that. But why didn't I be on a bar stool one time and just buzz out in tongues, you know? Never happened. And, you know, the, the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he who speaks in tongues speaks mysteries. How be it he, he's speaking mysteries to the Father. Well, why we got to do it like that? Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Because God wrote the Bible. There's a lot of churches wish that Acts wasn't in the Bible. You know, the Acts of the, in the Bible are not Acts of men. They're Acts of men yielded to the Holy Spirit. And God was not meaning the book of Acts to be, uh, you know, build your theology on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's showing you the various ways that the Spirit of God moves. He said the Spirit's like the wind. You don't see where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. You see it move on the trees, though. And that's how you know wind. But you ain't never seen wind. You felt wind. So well, I saw wind when I saw a tornado. No, you saw, you saw stuff picked up, but you didn't see the wind. You see? So it is with the Spirit. And so the Spirit's described as water. So in a, uh, don't, don't turn there. We don't have to go to the verses. Let me just say this for a second. Ezekiel 
the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 47, he's given a, a prophecy. And in this prophecy, starting in verse 1, he, he is carried into spirit and he sees a temple. Now, in the old covenant, God dwelt in a temple made with hands, right? But in the new covenant, Paul says, don't you know that now you're the temple that God lives in? In the beginning, before Adam and Eve sinned, the most dominant, listen to me, the most dominant force on the earth was the spirit of man. But when man sinned, it dethroned the spirit and it crowned intellect with glory. And man has been trying to approach God with knowledge of good and evil and good people go to heaven and evil people and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus came to bring grace and truth. And what grace and truth does is it reestablishes the spirit as, the, of, as dominion, the born-again spirit. For Jesus said, marvel not that you must be born again. Many as are led by the spirit. These are the sons of God. And God gave you his spirit as a gift. And he's not out there somewhere, he's in you. And you can't have Jesus without the spirit and you can't get wet without the water and you can't have water without being wet. So if you're sitting there and you've struggled theologically, you've been told all this stuff, well, you, now you've got to seek the second work of the baptism. I mean, in Acts chapter 10, you see people speaking in tongues and technically they ain't even saved yet. God would never do that if that was his order because that would make God violating his order. You've got to think about it. But the first thing you see in Acts 10 at these Gentiles' home is it says they spoke in tongues. Well, they ain't even had an altar call yet. They ain't even got saved, nor have they got water baptized. I guess God didn't know what he was doing there. Got all confused. He got excited at Peter's sermon, decided he'd just fall on them. No, you get it together. That's why you see so many instances where it says they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them when they believed and put their faith and trust in Jesus. Galatians says that you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by faith. By faith. You don't fast and pray to get saved, and you don't fast and pray to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you got it. Now, you, you just learn to release or yield. Now, let me say Ezekiel 47, the prophet sees the temple and out from under the threshold, kind of weird situation, but water is flowing out of the temple. Now, remember what I read to you that Jesus said in John 7, what the water symbolized? The Spirit, but this spake he of the Spirit. So here, flowing out of the temple is water, rivers. With me? And where is it flowing to? It's flowing, and you read it. Now, it says as, you, as it flows out, this is what it says. It says it's first that he goes out and measures it. Remember? Ankle deep. Now, some of you, that's as far as you want to go in spiritual things. Because if you're in ankle deep water and you need to get out, you can get out quick. And you got your feet on the ground, and you're in control. But you still got a little spirit going on, so ankle deep's all you want. That's cool. I'm a little bit, I don't like swimming in the shallow end of the pool myself. But anyway. He measures again, knee deep, right? But you're still in control of your things as far as, you know, I'm talking about, I don't mean control like possessed. I mean in control like you're you going to do it. Waist deep. I can still get out the water pretty fast waist deep, but not as fast as I could if I was ankle, only ankle deep. I'm losing control as we go deeper here. He says after waist deep, he said, I measured and it was rivers. And it was so deep, so wide, that if you got there, you had to swim. 
Now there, you're being carried by the current. Your feet are not touching the bottom, so you don't have near the control that you thought you did when you was ankle deep. I don't know if any of y'all are getting this or not, what I'm trying to say to you. But as he measures it, it keeps getting more, deeper, more wonderful. Now listen, it says it flows down to the valley. And it says every, and I wish we could read all of it, but every place it flows, what's dead lives. It says, and it just keeps saying it over and over. It's almost redundant. Life, life, everything the waters touch lives. And it says it will flow even all the way to the salt sea or the dead sea. The reason the dead sea is called dead because nothing can live in it. Right? And so it says even as it flows to the salt sea, the great sea, the dead sea, it, 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 it comes to life. Do you know that the water from the Jordan, and I know some of you know this, but the water from the Jordan River is what furnishes the water for the dead sea. It also furnishes the water for the Sea of Galilee. So how can the water that furnishes the Sea of Galilee, which is teeming with life and fish, that Jesus and his disciples fished upon with their nets, it be the same water that's going into the Dead Sea that nothing can live there? Same water. So the problem is not the water source, is it? The problem's got to be wrong with the sea itself. I'm speaking spiritually. But this is truth. And this is scientifically true. The water that flows out of the Jordan flows into the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Tiberias, all these things in the Bible. But that's the Galilean Sea. It's not a huge place. It's seven miles wide, 14 miles long with Galilean hills all around it. Wind comes over those hills, hits that water. It can turn it into, a, you know, like a you know, big storm. And they had several of them in Scripture. But the, pro, the, the, the wonderful thing is that sea goes, the water goes into the Sea of Galilee and it has an inlet and an outlet and the water flows out of the Sea of Galilee. Okay? Now the water leaves there and goes into the Dead Sea. It has an inlet but no outlet. Notice it's a salt sea. You should become the salt of the, Jesus said. The problem is you're not salty enough. The problem is you're too salty. Because you got an inlet and you come in here preaching, but you don't let it go out of you. And what's in you should bring life, now it's bringing just religious death. Because you're not looking to be that rivers to flow to people and places and to release what God's put on the inside of you. Mm. Is anybody getting what I'm saying? So allow the Spirit of God, it's what I'm saying. In Ezekiel 47... He says it goes to the salt sea. I love the uh, prophetic pictorial view. It says that, that, that you'll see it now as it keeps flowing. It's, 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 it's a river. And it says all along the banks of the river, there will be fishermen. And it says plenty of room for people to throw their nets. And it talks about the fish and the teeming numbers because salvation is flowing. The spirit is flowing. One consistent Imagery we have in the New Testament Bible about the Holy Spirit baptism and the, and the Holy Spirit in general is joy. The joy. That your joy may be full. That you yield to the Holy Spirit. That your joy would be full. And so, so you, you, you need to understand that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, that, that, and, and I've seen people, they, they were made to, maybe not intentionally, but the result was the same. They felt like a second-class Christians. What do you speak in tongues? 
Well, how is that? It's, the Holy Spirit's in you. Let me, let me say it to you like this. Now, this, this statement kind of shocks people if they hear it the first time because they think I'm, you know, a little nuts here. L- listen to me. Jesus Christ is not going to save anybody on planet Earth today. Now, I need to say it like that to make my point. In other words, he's not going to decide, that he, well, I'll save that person. Or, you know, like a wife will come up to me, would you pray that the Lord will save my husband? Okay, so he ain't saved him yet, right? It's what she thinks. Because now she's asking me to pray that God will save her husband. Well, maybe you know before Christmas he'll get saved. So what are we waiting on for that lost husband to be saved? Are we waiting on God or are we waiting on husband? This is not hard, people. Okay, the only thing that causes God to save people and to forgive of sins, the Bible said without the remission, without the shedding of blood, there's no what? Remission, which means forgiveness of sin. When's the last time Jesus shed blood? 2,000 years ago on the cross, right? Okay, so Jesus didn't lie when he said he's finished, and he paid for all the problem of sin, and he was the Lamb of God that took away not only the sin of the church, but the sin of the world. Did he take it away or didn't he? Did he lie when he said he's finished? If he, if he didn't finish it, he got to come back and finish it again. And that means all sin, noun, noun. I've told you it's four in the book of Romans. The word sin is used more than any book in the New Testament. 39 times you'll find it in the New King James Version, the word sin. Only one time of all 39 times is the word sin a verb. Every other time sin is a noun, a thing, person, place, or thing, an entity. The first person who ever used the word sin was God himself. And in Genesis when he's talking to a murderer, he, t- he brings up the word sin. And he says, it he lieth at the door. He desires your destruction. That's King James Version of that. God makes sin, he personifies it as a person and speaks of it as a person. Most of the church does not understand sin. You think we would know what sin is because we've heard sin, sin, sin. But the church thinks sin is something they do. Jesus did not die for your sins, plural. He died for sin. Him who knew no sin did not become sins. Him who knew no sin became sin. Look it up, and it's a noun. That's important because it helps calibrate your understanding of the sin issue. If sin is not the issue, and it's not because Romans 10 is the salvation chapter. Everybody knows Romans 10 is telling you how to get born again. The word sin does not appear. If you go to the average church, to the average Christian, say, what must I do to be saved? They're going to say, bow your head, close your eyes, confess your sin. That's not in the Bible. That's in church because man likes to add to and make it, you know, come up with a formula. When the man in the book of Acts chapter 16, the, the Philippian jailer, asked the great apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul never said the word sin. He said, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. <laughs> That's what he said. And not only that, your whole house is going to be saved. Never mentioned sin. Why didn't he mention sin? Because God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the sin of the world unto himself on the cross, not imputing nor counting nor recording men's sins against them anymore. God has no record 
of your sin if you did it when you parked in the parking lot. God has no record of it. It's not that God stupid and didn't see it. It's that God is not holding it against you because his son paid the price for all sin on the cross. My God, I'm preaching. Got to watch my time. I was raised around people that preached and taught that if a person, Christian, or anyone committed suicide, I hate to bring up such a heavy subject, but if somebody committed suicide, they went straight to hell. I was raised on that. I was taught that. Maybe I was just with a weird bunch, but that's what they taught us. I mean, ferociously. Because, this is why they said it. This is where they're... This is where your theology gets off script. Because what they said is, see, because they don't believe that God forgives a future sin. See, the sin I'll commit a year from now, I'm already forgiven for it. Now, if that makes you want to go out and sin wildly, then that's a spirit of stupid. When I married my wife 38 years plus ago, we made a covenant with one another before God. We actually said these words. Most people don't mean them. We said, till death do us part is the only thing that separates us. We tried to throw in a little, you know, better, worse, rich or poor, sickness, hell. Try to cover the broad basis. But what people really need to do today when I marry them is we need to get real detailed. Now, what would you leave his butt over? Let's put that in there. <laughs> if he does X, Y, Z, will you divorce his butt? Come on, let's get it in the vows. That way the brother will know. And let's do the same with her. What will you abandon her over? What will you divorce her over? Let's name that sin that you won't forgive her of. And let's put it in the vows. We left it real broad. We said, for better, for worse, rich or poor, sickness and health, only death will cause me to leave you, woman. And only death, she said, would cause me to leave her. That's why I don't feel Imagine somebody sitting there observing that ceremony and that covenant. And then a brother runs up to me and says, hey, man, you got it made, dude. Why? Because your wife just told you the only reason she'd ever leave you is death. That means you can sleep with all the women you want to. And she won't, she won't divorce you. I'd go, man, you're stupid. What you don't factor in here is I love her. She loves me. You, you I, I'm not talking about me and her. I'm talking about you and Jesus. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, ever. You're my wife. I'm your husband. He made a covenant with himself in regard to you. So people to talk about the sin issue and all, you got to understand. And so I'm trying to get you to see this. So when I say God's not going to save anybody today, it's not that nobody's going to get saved. There'll be millions of people saved on this planet today. Why? Why did they get saved? Is it because God just arbitrarily decided that today on October, uh, August the 12th is what we are, that I decide to save brother so-and-so? Is that the way it goes? In other words, God's got on this calendar, oh, it's August the 12th. I think I'll save that dude right there. <laughs> brother, be saved. Is that how it goes? Well, why are you coming up here asking me that God would save your husband? You don't have to pray to God to save your husband. He's already saved your husband. In other words, he's already paid the price. I already paid for the furniture. You just got to pick it up. You just got to get down there and receive it. 
but it's paid in full. So salvation comes today to what? To those who believe the truth of the gospel. Now, a lot of people don't know it, and so when they're told it, then as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to be the sons of God. Are, are you with me? I'm trying to get you to see it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. God's not going to fill anybody with the Holy Spirit today. What you're going to do is receive his son, and it comes with him. That's the only way you get him. Because he is the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of Christ. He is the Holy Spirit. And you don't get a 10% deposit. You don't get a down payment and we're going to start making house payments on the Holy Spirit until we get it paid off. No, no. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, if you didn't know that, then you could receive that today by me declaring the truth to you. I could lay hands on you. That's not the only way, but sometimes that helps people to activate their If I laid hands on you, then and I would say, receive the Holy Spirit. Now do you know what I mean? I don't mean God send a UPS package from heaven, and we're going to stand here and wait till it arrives. Oh, you got it, brother. You got it. Get it, get it, get it, get it. You got it. Now you got it. Now. All that mess is just ridiculous religion. I used to say, you know, you tell now you got it. You've been saved 10 years. You had it 10 years ago. You're just now learning how to yield yourself. And one of the benefits of the Holy Spirit that we'll talk about next Sunday is you can yield yourself to that heavenly language, and you pray that by faith just like you pray in English. It is a language. I know y'all know Joel Osteen. <clears throat> me and him talked this morning. I, he didn't talk back, but, I mean, I didn't talk to him, but he was talking to me through the TV because... My wife likes to listen to Joel while she's getting ready for church, you know. And uh, just a great encourager, great ministry. Now, I know he catches a lot of flack, sugar-coated, too sweet and all that. You do your thing, let Joel do his, leave him alone. Joel's daddy, though, John Osteen, who handed Lakewood Church over to Joel, was a Baptist preacher. And he's got a fascinating biography story. I don't mean this in a book form. But if you ever read his, you know, about his testimony or his testimony, um, Joel and uh, John, his daddy, Joel's daddy, was a Baptist preacher. I forget how many years, for many, many years, 19, 20 years, did not believe in the Holy Spirit and all this kind of stuff until he was at a church where a little girl in the church, and there was an uh, American guy, but he was a missionary to Africa. A certain, I forget what part. And in this service, this little 10-year-old girl spoke in tongues. As soon as she got through just for a moment or two, the missionary who was there to minister in that church that week, and that's why John Osteen was there, he stood up and said to the pastor, could he say something? The pastor said, yes. Now, John Osteen said when that little girl was speaking in them tongues, you know, he'd always been told, that's other devil, and you know, you know, good Baptist people don't fool with that. And he, and he had not. <laughs> and that, with tears running down his face, that missionary to Africa said she was speaking the tribal language of whatever tribe he ministers to in Africa. And she was praising and magnifying Jesus. And the Spirit of the Lord just filled that little church. John Osteen said, that's what snatched me out of the pit of religion was that experience that night. And he never was the same again because he believed then the power of God. That story's been repeated so many times over and over. 
But listen, do I have to speak in tongues? You don't have to. If you never speak in tongues, you're just as saved as anybody else. There is not levels of salvation. You are saved and you understand what I'm saying? And I'm just, I've seen so many people so wounded and so hurt and so confused by messed up theology. And I don't mean people intentionally meant to mess people up. I sure didn't. And I used to get caught up in all this kind of stuff. And it was very confusing. And I know my wife being raised a sweet Baptist girl coming into a Pentecostal environment like that. I'm not, I'm not bashing any, anybody. I'm not bashing Pentecostal or charismatic people. or I'm not doing any of that. I, I just have to go point of reference from my life and story. But my wife was very confused and, and was hurt just because she didn't flop around like a fish up front and speak in tongues, you know, that somehow she just wasn't, you know, she just wasn't on fire. <laughs> What's the fire anyway? The word fire there, translated fire, is actually a Greek word, and one of the translations that's used is lightning. Lightning. You see lightning. Jesus said the purpose of the Holy Spirit baptism is so you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, and Judea. The Bible actually says tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Think about that. 1 Corinthians says it's a sign uh, for the unbeliever, not for the believer. We, we don't need a sign. And so it was a tremendous sign in Acts 2 because they all spoke in languages, and those languages were understood by all those people around that were listening. It wasn't just a bunch of gibberish going up in the air, but each of those foreign nations that were there at the feast of Pentecost, they were multiple people there from all over, the known world at that time, coming in at that mandated Jewish feast, and they heard each one speak in their own language or dialect. And that was a powerful witness that this ain't some fake sideshow here. This is Almighty God, and the Messiah has come. And God don't want you hurt. He don't want you confused. And God don't want you to feel like you're a second or third class Christian because you've never spoken tongues. Now, to me, it's a great benefit. I speak in tongues more than y'all. I kind of joke with you like Paul said. I don't know if I do or not. I don't think. I think some of you are tongue talk me to death, really. But, but, uh, but you don't hear me pray in tongues or anything much in a, in a church service. Because the Bible says you don't really need to do that in tongues in public real loud here unless some, somebody's going to interpret so we can be edified about what was said. The Bible says prophecy is equal to tongues and interpretation. So if you have tongues and interpretation, that's, it equals prophecy. But if you have tongues and no prophecy then we're all not edified because we don't know what was said. And the Bible teaches that. And the Bible says, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, you know, that when a, you know, you got to be mindful, he says, of two classes of people, the unbeliever and the uninformed. Now, an unbeliever is pretty clear. That's just somebody doesn't believe in Jesus yet or whatever. But the uninformed is probably a believer in Christ, but they just hadn't ever heard about it. They, They're like those disciples in Acts 19. We've not, well, we've not heard if they be the Holy Spirit. Or mostly what they have heard about it has scared the daylights out of them. Man, if you, I tell you, if you try to get the Holy Ghost, you might get a demon. That means heard that, that you might get a demon. If you yield, that's ridiculous. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, in Luke chapter 11, that if, if he said, I'm a good father. And he said, if you being evil fathers, he said, if your son comes to you and asks for bread, will you give him a stone? How many of you try to munch down on the stone? That's going to hurt your teeth. He said, if you ask for, a, he said, what father among you would give him a stone? He said, if he asked for a fish, what, what father would give him a, a, a serpent instead of a fish? He said, and if, you, if, you, if he asked for an egg, what kind of father would give him a scorpion? Now, hang on. You notice what we got here? We got somebody trying to eat a stone as bread. 
we got a serpent that bites you, and we got a scorpion, scorpion. All those things hurt you. And God said, I will never allow anything, and I will never give you anything in your life that will hurt you. And if you ask for bread, if it's for me, it'll just be bread. If you ask for fish, what kind you like? Salmon, brim, catfish, mullet, what you want. God will give you what you want. If you ask for egg, you want it, you want it poached, fried, sunny side up, scrambled, how you like it? That's what God's going to do. He said, now listen, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit, give the Holy Spirit to them to ask? So what's the key today? I'm ending with this. Just ask. Now, if you're born again, I'm telling you, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Don't be theologically confused no more. You have it. You've, we've either been given every spiritual blessing or we hadn't. And if we start pulling them out and say, well, you got every spiritual blessing but that one, how can anybody say the Holy Spirit's not a spiritual blessing? So you've got to decide what theology track you're going to ride on. And it's got to make sense all the way. So you have the Holy Spirit. You're not a second-class person. You may have not learned yet how to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I'm still learning to yield. That's something I pray every day. I used to think that I, the anointing was something God shipped down every now and then. But now as I've read the New Testament, Paul told us over and over, for you have received the anointing of the Holy One. You're all anointed. You're anointed to be housewives, business owners, CEOs, secretaries, blue-collar work. You're anointed. You don't have to pray for the anointing. You have the favor of God. You have the anointing. Now, what I have to do is I used to pray for the anointing. Every time I'd have to preach, I would go, oh, God, please send your anointing today. Oh, God, you know, I want to be anointed. But now I don't ever pray for the anointing. What I do say now is I say, Lord, I thank you that you've given me the gift of your anointing. I pray today, God, that you would help me to yield to the anointed one that's on the inside of me. Help me to yield my mind and to yield myself to your anointing takes the pressure off man it's just so nice just to relax in God and, and just not get all caught up in religion I love you God loves you the Holy Spirit's in you you don't have to have me to lay hands you some of you could speak in tongues while I'm preaching like they did with people that would be cool you know that wasn't they wasn't nobody but they heard them do that there was some the Holy Spirit fell but you got to understand that what we see in Acts is we see the transitioning of the new covenant into the Gentile world primarily. And these Jewish brothers were saying, Peter's like goes back to the big shops at Jerusalem and says, listen, could I forbid water? You ever tried to stand and stop a river? <laughs> he said, that's what it was like at Cornelius' house. So y'all get mad if you want to about these Gentiles got the same gift that we got in Acts 2. But he said, I'm telling you, I was there and I couldn't stop water and it was God. So we might as well adjust our church bylaws here because the Gentiles are in the kingdom. And the Samaritans are too. And all you Jews that hate Samaritans need to get a grip and deal with the sin in your heart as far as your prejudice. Samaritans are in the kingdom too. So stop being feeling hard against them. Because they received the same. And two of our apostles, Peter and John, were standing there when the Samaritans received the same gift that we received. And you have that same gift on the inside of you. And as you learn to yield and you go into the Word, I remember a brother that I talked to was in a prison. And uh, I met him, of course, when he got out, but he came to our church and, and never didn't know anything about him. But he told me, he said he was raised in no, no religion, no nothing. He was just drug addict and just, it was a really tremendous 
horrible life. But, and, uh, but he, he, he got born again in prison, and he, and he just started reading his Bible. And he told me that he was on the prison pray, uh, 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 baseball field. <laughs> and uh, he said he was just sitting out there, uh, and he had his Bible, and he had some minutes before they were going to assemble and let him play some softball or whatever. And he, and he just said, and he had been reading all in Acts, and he said, Lord, if, if this is you, I, I, I want the Spirit. And uh, he said he, re- he received the fullness right there just by himself. What happened to that guy? Did God decide to send it to that guy that day? No, what he did is he believed that that gift was for everybody. It's to you, your children, your children, children, to many as the Lord will call. Who's God called? He said, I've called everybody, not when any should perish. And so you yield to that. And we'll talk next Sunday. If you'll come back, not be scared. We'll talk about the language of the Spirit. And then we'll see those languages and we'll see, uh, you know, the more of, the, of that. But the language of the Spirit. You, you ever seen cows fellowshipping with chickens? <clears throat> you ever seen crocodiles hanging out with deer? No, they want to eat the deer. You know what I'm saying? I mean, listen, cows talk to cows. This is real deep. Chickens talk to chickens. God is a spirit, John 4. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he's the rewarder. Them that worship God worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. God is spirit, actually, is what it says in John 4. God is spirit. So spirit communicates to what? Spirit. So you have to learn to listen to God with the language. When God speaks to you, and he has will and continues, he speaks the language of the spirit. He's not speaking something else. He's speaking one language, spirit. And if you come next Sunday, I'm going to help you to be able to recognize that language when you hear it and to yield to that. And don't be afraid. If you ask him for an egg, you get an egg. God ain't going to let nothing hurt you. He's going to let nothing harm you because he's a good daddy. and He loves you. And he don't want you feeling beat up or crushed up or messed up because preachers like us have got it all confused and jambled up in our heads and don't know. And don't try to pull out one little area and go build a denominational theology just on that. See the whole work of the Holy Spirit from Acts chapter 1 all the way through the book of Acts. Amen. Stand with me. Because of our, our brother Clarence, we're going to dismiss at this point today. A little bit unusual, but, uh, but we want to give the, uh, everybody time to uh, come back and be back at the home going. And, and the funeral guys are coming in here right shortly. Would you bow your head and let's pray together. Father, I love you. Thank you for the word of God. And I thank you for your children that are filled with your spirit if they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. Thank you for that precious gift of the Holy Spirit. May we learn to yield to your spirit and to your grace gift that you've made a deposit in all of our lives. We give you praise, honor, and glory for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said amen. God bless you. We love you.